There's an interesting finding from the research as well that um, whilst educators, uh, whilst it's reported that educators feel quite stressed um, about their, their jobs, they're also very satisfied. So the story is not a simple one. It's a very complicated story. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Early Education Show. Uh, we're here with episode 90 in our first episode of 2019. I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. And I'm Leanne. And it's great to be back, at least for me. It's been uh, it's been quite a while. We're, well, we're ex- very excited do to have Do you think we remember back. how to do it? Um, well, you've remembered how to interrupt me, Lisa, so I think we're going to be just fine. <laughs> cool. I think we're going to be just good. fine. I think we're going to, it's like an old <laughs> pair of shoes. Is that bitchiness coming from him, Leanne? No, very, it's very early in the year for this sort of business. I think we need to just, you know, get our repartee going that's a little more respectful of each other. Is that likely to happen, though? No. No. <laughs> well, anyway, so welcome to 2019, everyone. If you're rejoining us, if you're a regular listener, we, we're uh, very excited to, to have you back and we, we uh, hope you will enjoy all the shows we've got coming up. We've got a bit planned already for the year. We're, we're doing that normal thing where we're slightly organised at the start of the year and it'll be off the rails by, say, March or so, but uh, we, we can do it till then. If you're just joining us in 2019, welcome welcome to the Early Education Show. We're really happy to have you on board. Um, this is as, as professional as it gets, which I think we do as our introduction every year. <laughs> Yeah. But um, we should start by saying, obviously, our last regular episode, well, we, our last record was in early December. So uh, how have you two been? How are your How are your holidays? How are your breaks? Did you go anywhere nice and fun? Did you survive? Uh, did, did you survive unmelted through January? I did. But you know what I was really, really uh, um, bemused by? The number of early education people that contacted me to say they were listening to the podcast in their Christmas holidays. Oh, I'm catching up on missing catch up. That's lovely. Yeah. Good on them. Well, I can't I know. think of a better way to spend your Christmas break. Mm. They were cornering yeah. their bedrooms at oh, the gosh. same time. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, we gave them joy. So, That's right. Oh, clearly, because they hadn't gotten rid of us. <laughs> we spark joy in people's lives. Oh, oh, wonderful. I'm going to add that to the marketing for the show. Sparking joy. Sparking joy. Yeah, it was, it was very hot though, wasn't it? It was hot in um, Sydney, and but it was a good opportunity to just sit around and read books. Yeah. I disappeared to Fiji and it was very nice there because there was pools and oceans and things. Oh, and you could read books there too. I tried. Unfortunately, I've blown my brain for reading books. Oh. I want everything condensed to little small episodes. Well, maybe that could be one of your goals for this year is to read a book. Doesn't that sound pathetic? <laughs> Did you listen to any well, podcasts? I remember when Lisa? that used to be a goal for a night. I'd like to read this book tonight. <laughs> <laughs> what about? Did you listen to any podcasts, Lisa? Because famously, for a for a now you know a professional ninety episode podcaster, you don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> well, she didn't obviously catch up. Liam. No, obviously we're not. Obviously we're not sparking joy for Lisa. She's still. She's still got no idea. You know, you could actually put a whole segment in there, five minutes at the end, dissing Lisa and see if she ever listens. <laughs> someone, say, some loyal listener would tell me if you did that. That's true. <laughs> Keep the secret, everyone. All right. Well, um, we we've we've got a great episode coming up. Uh, 
today, our first episode, we're going to be talking with uh, some fantastic researchers, uh, Sandy Wong, Tamara Cumming, and Helen Logan, about a really interesting project on well-being and educators they're doing. Um, I had a really great time talking with uh, the three of them. Uh, and as I sort of say in the interview, I'm, I'm even luckier because um, I get to take part in, in well, or support educators to take part in that through the work I do here in Canberra. So really uh, looking forward for everyone to hearing that interview. Um, we are continuing with uh, exploring the NQS bonus series, which has been great fun to do not as fun as talking to Leanne and Lisa people are really enjoying that Liam so good on you well I'm enjoying doing it so if people like it that's fantastic so quality area one is all done uh, and we and we did an overview episode for that as well and we're now two episodes into quality area two so uh, if you if you we put that out on Tuesdays right in the middle of our week week off so if you're desperately missing early education show content if you're not if we're not sparking enough joy for you with these weekly episodes um, head to patreon.com forward slash early show and you can uh, support us and then get uh, this little extra series we're doing where I explore the national quality standard one element at a time like I said lots of fun and thanks for everyone How do you really supporting make us your quality area too interesting uh, well, that you, you'll have to subscribe and find out. But, you know, I actually find that the most interesting ones to do because I only have 15 minutes and I really struggle to, to only talk about early childhood for 15 minutes. And Quality Area 2 is great because it's so practical and hands-on. And there are actually, I think, just some really key things we need to go back and think about. So I'm having a great, a great time doing Quality Area 2. Can I listen to that without becoming a Patreon? Uh <laughs> That's that sounds highly illegal, Lisa. But um, I'll oh. I'll see what I can. Liam do. might give you a special. It, hang on, Liam. That's incredible. Lisa's offering to listen to she that. You have to give her access. But the trouble is, it's not technically a podcast. It's an extra audio anyway. But look, I'll take what I can get. So yes, Lisa, I'll, I'll figure that out for you. I'll figure that out for you. Thank you. <laughs> um. All right. Now we wanted to. Now regular listeners who have been with us since the start know that we're always looking for some segment to do before the main topic. And we've had a news list, and we've had news items, we've had various other things. This year, we thought we might try quote of the week, where we sort of find a quote from from Twitter or the media or somewhere that um, can spark a little bit of a conversation. And uh, this one, I think, was a tweet, wasn't it, Lisa? Do you have this one in front of me? Do you want me to read it, Lisa? Oh, you can read it. All right. So this quote is, people might recognise this one because probably, it's probably appeared in the inbox of every early childhood centre in Australia. Reporting. Do you reckon that actually people memorise stuff that the department says? Of course, it's a vital communication list and it's so well written and engaging to read. Of course, people have, <coughs> have memorised it. Sorry. <laughs> Stay with me, Lisa. All right, so the quote is, Reporting actual attendance times is, is intended to help parents understand the relationship between the fees they are charged, the amount of subsidy paid to their childcare provider on their behalf, and their out-of-pocket expenses, and that is from our friends at the Department of Education. So, Lisa, you chose this one. Um, any particular reason you wanted to whack that quote on the table for us? Because it rates up there with extreme uh, bureaucratic double talk. Because... Yeah. It just doesn't. Yeah, so no. we should, we should like say the the holy trinity of um, of uh, Twitter pieces because yeah. it's got <laughs> it's like a you know the fees they are charged, the amount of subsidy paid, and their out of pocket expenses. <laughs> so we should say the context for this. I assume probably everyone listening would know, but um, the yeah, on the eleventh of January, I think, or early January, the the requirement that services provide the actual attendance uh, times of children, their sign in and sign out times, was uh, was brought into effect. Um, so this was the department sort of letting people know, and that there was certainly no nefarious reason for this requirement at all. And so it's got nothing to do with you know only funding for hours of childcare used. It's got nothing to do with 
allowing providers to cut costs by casualising the workforce. It's got nothing to do with any of those stuff. Of course It's not. just to help parents understand the relationship between everything. Yeah. Look, if that was some nefarious plot, Lisa, then the minister, you know, the former minister for education, Simon Birmingham, would have spent a lot of time saying that, you know, parents were being charged too much for hours they weren't using. But I'm sure that didn't happen, did it, during the whole... <laughs> yes, the whole... it did. Oh, oh, well, no. Ad okay. nauseum. Yeah. Yeah. So I think turning the sarcasm off briefly, which I find quite difficult, but um, we did talk about this a lot during um, particularly episodes in 2016, the lead up to the passing of the package, that um, this was one of the more um, more dangerous aspects of this package because families, of course, if they don't have... Look, the, the sector is incredibly complex and the funding of it is, is even more complex. So families, uh, as a surface-level proposition, would, would go, yeah, why am I paying for hours I'm not using when, you know, they're, you know, the services and, and need to pay educators and, and do all those things that the best way to provide quality is having, you know, regular patterns of attendance and, and centres being able to operate on the assumption that they'll get a full day's um, pay. So the... You know, the, the this change is really about, and particularly what's specific about this requirement is that now services need to, in their statements they're providing to families, is say, here's the amount of hours you use and here's how many hours you are charged for. And there's likely to be a discrepancy between those two. So what the government want to happen is that families will go, well, that's utterly not okay. And and, and they, they want, I, my, my feeling is they want parents to be getting really cranky and uproaring about this so they can then turn Absolutely. around. Absolutely. Yeah. And they started it off at the beginning of the year by getting newspapers to run stories once again about the number of public holidays that people pay for in childcare where they cannot actually yeah. access childcare. And that's just like, oh, go away. Yeah. Yeah, so they want to they want to make changes to how you know it's funded. They 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 want to be funding far less, and they're hoping that they can do it on the on the back of sub community and family outrage. Yep, but as someone pointed out when I tweeted this um, paragraph, which I did a few weeks ago, the actual cost to services has been quite immense because for most services, doing it manually, which is an option, manually entering into you know, um, your software, you know, what time each family came, what time each family left is such a hassle that most services with more than, you know, 50 children at them have instituted electronic means of doing it. And that means iPads are scattered around, you know, for parents to be able to sign well, in and out hmm. and software and stuff like that. And so it's it's not a cost-neutral thing, and the cost, again, comes from services, and ultimate, which ultimately means it comes from parents. So. Well, I think Liam pointed that out many, many episodes ago, didn't you, Liam, about the cost and the, the installation of all of those yeah. different things that needed to happen and that it, wasn't, that it was a cost to families. So it's always trying to... Um, go to a very strange route to solve a problem that never gets solved. Yeah, because it's a symptom of the wider problem of how the sector is funded full stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that was our first episode, first mini episode of Quote of the Week. This, the great thing about this segment is really it's kind of interactive. If you have a quote you're hearing from a from a minister or from you know from somewhere out there in the sector, send it to us and we might discuss it in next week's episode. Uh, but we are going to uh, take a quick break uh, in just a second. We're going to come back with our uh, interview um, with uh, Sandy uh, Sandy Wong, Tamara Cumming, and Helen Logan about their well-being in early childhood projects. So stay with us.
Hey everyone, it's just Liam here. Before we get started with this interview, I um, just want to let you know we had some minor technical issues with the sound just in the first couple of minutes. So um, you may hear some uh, some sort of echoing and, and not great sounds, but it stops after about a couple of minutes. So please enjoy the interview. All right, welcome back. So uh, we know that uh, in early education, the, the role of the educator is the, is, the, is the critical component. The work that educators do with young children uh, has the most direct impact on what they're learning and their learning and well-being outcomes going forward. But uh, we also know that there are a range of pressures on educators and that edu- educator well-being is a huge topic at the moment in the sector. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I've got three fantastic people who are very immersed in this topic uh, at the moment. I'm really looking forward to this interview discussion. So I might um, hand it over to them to, to introduce themselves. Sandy, can we start with you? Hi, Liam. Thanks for inviting us to be part of the podcast. Um, my name is Sandy Wong. I'm an Associate Professor at Macquarie University and I'm one of the co-leaders of the Early Childhood Education Wellbeing Project. And I'm Tamara Cumming. I'm also one of the co-leaders of the project and I'm based at Charles Sturt University. And hi Liam, I'm Helen Logan and I'm one of the co-investigators on the project and I'm also a lecturer here at Charles Sturt University. So it's great to be with you today. Well, welcome to the Early Education Show, everyone, and thanks so much for your time um, today. So uh, that's obviously what we're going to be talking about is this this wellbeing project you, you're working on. I want to get to the sort of specifics of that project uh, in a little while, but um, uh, it'd be great to hear from one of you. Now, so what do we know from the research at the moment about educator wellbeing? So you're obviously, you know, this project is hoping to add to that knowledge, but um, based on the research and, and what we know is out there at the moment, what can we say um, we kind of know uh, about educator wellbeing? Yeah, thanks, Liam. Um, what we know about early childhood educator wellbeing is that it matters. Um, it matters to educators themselves, of course. They have to be fit and well and healthy, um, and it matters to their families. But on top of that, it um, matters to the children and the families in their care. So educator, educator wellbeing is directly linked to outcomes for children, um, and educators need to be well, well to support the children. It matters to their employers um, because the cost of not being well is quite significant um, and uh, in terms of sick days and um, staff turnover and so on. Um, and it matters to society because uh, the cost of educators' well-being um, to the broader society um, is pretty significant, both in terms of the, the financial costs of ill-being, but also um for those very benefits that we can get um, with, when educators are well and working well with children that has, uh, and they're able to provide high quality care, that has um, implications for long-term outcomes for those children. And then that obviously has an effect, um, a positive effect for society. In terms of what we know already, um, there's a reasonably large body of research that's looked at educator wellbeing. Um, it's actually increased quite rapidly over the last 10 years. The problem is that a lot of that um, research doesn't define well-being. So well-being is seen as being anything, um, uh, it could be stress, it could be educator burnout, it could be workplace satisfaction. So the, the research that looks at well-being doesn't really define well-being very well. And consequently, because of that, we have a quite fragmentary understanding. Uh, we know a little bit about um, educators' psychological well-being, but uh, we don't know uh, holistically how educators are going. 
much of the research is focused on individuals. So it's focused on um, the educators themselves and it hasn't paid any attention to the um, organisational context within which um, educators are working, which we know from research in other areas, um, looking at organisational context, that that's a really important part of the story. Um, so uh, we need to look at that a, a lot more. Much of the research is only focused on psychological aspects and, again, mostly on um, uh, burnout and stress. And as a consequence, uh, there's a lot of different kind of tools and methods that have been used to examine educator wellbeing. So we're not getting a consistent story. We're not able to compare um, different studies and so on. What we also know quite sadly, is that educator wellbeing has been largely ignored in early childhood policy. So there's not a lot of um, research or, or attention to early childhood education wellbeing in policy. But all in all, when we look at all of those, all of the research that does exist, um, we know that educator wellbeing at the moment is being compromised. There, um, there are costs to educators' well-being. Uh, we know that it's costing organisations a lot of money. We know that educators themselves are telling us that um, they're stressed and it's having an impact on their work. There's an interesting finding from the research as well that um, whilst educators, uh, whilst it's reported that educators feel quite stressed. Um, about their, their jobs. They're also very satisfied. So the story is not a simple one. It's a very complicated story. Um, and in terms of Australian early childhood educators, we know very little actually around um, the state of educators' well-being. Um, and consequently, we don't really know what's the best way to support educators' well-being. Wonderful. Thanks for that. Um, thanks for that summary there, Sandy. I'm just wondering, that, that's a fascinating thing you've pointed out there about that it just hasn't been a focus. I mean, this is a really tough question, I know it, but do, why do you think there hasn't been a focus on educator wellbeing? Why do you think, you know, policy and politics hasn't thought about um, educators and their wellbeing before? That's a really great question, Liam. Um, <laughs> that, I, that I didn't put in We've been ruminating on that just over the last couple of days, actually. And um, I think in some ways it has to do with the history of the of early childhood education. Um, early childhood education started off as, as philanthropic work um, and it was, you know, it was what we did to support little children and uh, to protect them and to help them grow and develop. And it was largely done as a charitable um, as charitable work. And so the well-being of educators has always kind of been comp been put in the background and um, not really focused on. And we haven't really had a lot of evidence that has made links between the well-being of educators and the well-being of children um, and outcomes for children. We're now starting to see there's some there's a small amount of research that has shown those links. So, for example, if an educator is feeling stressed or um, uh, going through some psychological challenges, they're not able to provide the very highest quality relationships with children and it potentially compromises pedagogical practices. And that's actually one of the things that we really want to look at is the link between educator well-being, pedagogical practices and um, outcomes for children.
Wonderful. Thanks for that, Sandy. So I guess I'm interested now, so that's a fantastic overview of kind of where the research is sitting with, with wellbeing. Um, I guess, and, and I think you touched on this a little bit with kind of the things that you think um, need to be focused on, but what, what would we say is missing from the research, either in an Australian context or generally about educators? Well, kind of what, you know, my simple uh, non-researcher question would be, what don't we know about educator wellbeing? Well, in terms of Australian early childhood educators, we don't know the state of their well-being. Um, there's lots <laughs> of anecdotal evidence and people and educators tell us that um, they're, they're stressed, they're burnt out, they're suffering injuries and so on. We also know um, from um, the in the New South Wales context and in the Victorian context, we know that it's uh, costing quite a lot of money in terms of um, uh workers' compensation claims. Um, but we really, we don't know the story. We don't know how all these things work together. And so um, what we're interested in is the relationship between um, psychological and physiological well-being of educators uh, within the context of their work environment, within the larger sociocultural political context, and the impacts of that on children. So really, we know little bits but we don't know the whole picture. We don't know how these things all, all come together and relate. A lot of the work that has been done has focused, as I said, on the individual. And that kind of puts blame on the individual educator to be the one who has to take responsibility for his or own, her own health. But actually, the picture is very complicated. It's to do with um, there are some issues around the, the, the working environment. There are issues around policies and work um, working conditions. There are issues around uh, the ratios and policies, and there are issues around how the work of educators is actually seen more broadly as well. So some educators already are telling us that they don't feel valued by the larger social, social, cultural context. Um, and so we we really need to look at all of those things. And that's what we're trying to do in our study. Wonderful. Thanks for that, Sandy. So I guess, um, and we sort of touched on this a little bit as well, but obviously, the, I, you know, from my point of perspective, the reason that we need to talk about educator wellbeing and why it's so important um, isn't just that, you know, obviously we need to ensure that uh, the, the educators working in that professional context have good wellbeing outcomes, but at the end of the day, they're working with young children. So we know this has a direct impact on children. So, um, you know, is there, you know, what do we know about how that, how educator wellbeing is linked to outcomes for children? You know, do we know that there's a direct link? Um, or, you know, what do we sort of know about that connection? Um, well, there isn't a lot of research that has made those direct links, but there is some. Um, there's uh, like literally three or four studies, um, and they have shown direct links between educator well-being and, um, and what, what they, in that research, what they're looking at is stress or burnout. Um, so there's links between educator stress and burnout with um, children's uh, literacy outcomes and with their um, sustained thinking. Um, so we don't actually know a lot, but we know enough to know that it matters. And um, we have a very strong hunch that uh, it has long-term implications. Thanks. So what, what sounds to me like is we really need a, a great project to focus on educator wellbeing, which might be a good segue to talk about. Um, uh, so tell us about this project and, you know, I'm particularly interested in how it, how it came about. What was the thinking behind starting this, um, this project on educator wellbeing? 
really we became interested in this um, issue of educator well-being through our observations of educators in practice, you know, more than 10 years ago. And we began to be concerned about how much was being asked of educators you know we, we all know how complex and demanding the work of educators is but nobody seemed to be attending to how this was impacting educators and what that meant for how well they could um, you know provide quality education and care for children so it's taken some time I suppose for our um, our work to develop to a point that we can make this our focus but how we've gone about the bringing together of the project is you know we started with our good academic basics which is that we did a literature review of what has been done to date and then we built on that to think well what are you know what are the real issues for educators in Australia and what, what's this literature telling us and what it was telling us, I think Sandy said some of these things before, is that there was a very fragmented approach and also a really strong approach on the individual the educator to almost be the person solely responsible for for this for their state of being. But that didn't that didn't make sense for us in terms of the ways we know that organisations and policies and all of those things, relationships with families, can have impacts on educators' well-being. So we came to put together a model that we think of as a, a holistic model of early childhood educator well-being. So if you think about sort of a Bronfenbrenner style model, at the in the middle we still have the individual and we think of their psychological well-being. So that's things like um, things like their self-esteem and their stress and their job satisfaction. But we also have a, another part that we, we find very exciting, um, which is the physiological side. So that's that's the, um, the holistic part for the individual. But we always look at that within the context of the quality quality of their work environment. So it's how does the environment that they're working in, their immediate workplace, how does that enable or constrain their ability to be well? You know, um, what are the factors that are involved there? And then we also think about the broader socio-political environment and, and in fact, the discursive context. So what are the, the messages about the right ways of doing things that can make it hard for educator wellbeing to even be visible to, to ourselves, you know, a, a apart from in policy. Um, so we, we think about that, that's the holistic model. But um, when we get to how, how we do all of this, um, our holistic model is that we try to measure or find out about all of those elements. So at the individual level, from a psychological perspective, we're, we're looking for people's um, perceptions of, of how they are, how well they are. So we have a, a very big survey. Um, which we've put together from other surveys that have been used with educators. So they're validated tools. And we've also added in some questions about things that the literature told us was important about educator wellbeing that wasn't reflected in the existing tools. So we have this very long survey and that also involves people, um, their participants, essentially rating the quality of their workplace. And that's for all sorts of things like, is there appropriate adult sized furniture? Is there somewhere to have your lunch? Um, are people involved in decision making if they want to be? Those sorts of things, um, relationships with colleagues. So there's some of the organisational factors. And then we also ask, how well do you think you are physically? And how do you understand educator wellbeing? So we do, uh, we do give people an opportunity to tell us in their own words, as well as responding to the questions that we've got. And then the physiological part, which is so exciting, I sometimes have trouble not putting that first, is that um, 
so as well as these self-reports, we're looking for really hard evidence that no one can say, oh, well, that person was subjectively just feeling a bit stressed that day. So what we're looking at is hard evidence of how the effort involved in educators' work is impacting on their body. And, you know, body's not going to lie. So the way we do that is that we have educators do um, saliva swabs and we um, measure that for their levels of cortisol, which is a stress hormone that's released to help regulate um, the body's reactions to stress in its environment so they can be emotional or physiological. Um, and then we also ask edu educators to wear these very cool vests called hexoskin vests and they these measure so cool. cardiorespiratory activity um, as well as a whole bunch of other things like steps and, um, you know, bending and calories and anything you can think of this thing measures quite amazing so it looks like a rash vest and it's just got sensors embedded into it it's just like wearing a rash vest and people who've done the study with us say it's very comfortable so no one needs to be concerned that you know we're wrapping up educators in strange things and they can't do their work <laughs> or do as well as they might normally do it's very um, non-intrusive so um, then we also do some very basic health measures so we ask people for their height and their weight for how flexible they are and what their blood pressure is so that allows us to derive a whole set of data about um, how well a person is against, you know, what are considered healthy um, ways for a body to operate. The, the, the vests uh, are incredible, I think, getting that data. Now, Lisa, unfortunately, couldn't be on the, on the interview today, but she will insist that I ask this question. Are, are the sure. vests fashionable? Are they, colour, are they colourful? Are they, do they look good to wear? They're sleek, Liam. They go very well with this season's look and they can they can be worn very non-obtrusively underneath your polo shirt or your whatever you're wearing. Um, you know, okay. might have a little bit of a top, just like a camisole. And um, they, they are black. So, you know, they go with everything and always fashionable. So that's very important. <laughs> Very important. Look, I am, and I remember. Um, I, I, I probably should have disclosed at the top of the the interview that um, we're, you know, uh, the North Side who I work for are doing a little bit of work. We're really excited to be a part of it. But this this part in particular just just fascinates me because I think. Um, it is about collect. I think we know anecdotally that we know that there's obviously there are issues and concerns with educator well-being. And I, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to work in a leadership role, and I don't work directly with children uh, very often anymore. I, I take my hat off to the incredible work that educators do. It is in, it incredibly Absolutely. difficult, demanding work um, that mostly falls on the shoulders of of women as well, who often yes. have a huge amount of stresses outside the centre as well. We're often, you know, running households and doing all that life admin we talk about. So the, this idea about this is really about collecting hard data. This isn't about saying yeah. we're not just going to get anecdotal, we're not just going to get the sad stories, which are important. This is about saying we're going to actually know physiological things here, aren't we? That's exactly right. And so really, I think that's what makes our study unique. You know, as far as we know, we're the first the first people in the world to be, certainly to be doing this with early childhood educators, but also to be bringing together um, the hard measures of cortisol reactions and hexoskin vests. So because the hexoskin technology is really new, um, that's not so surprising. And unfortunately, because early childhood educator wellbeing is fairly invisible, it's also not surprising. But um, it's this is really cutting edge um, research. And we feel very proud that it's coming from Australia and that it's going to not only make a difference to early childhood educators, but we hope to people in other fields um, of human services. You know, this is a way of working and a way of looking at people's wellbeing, um, you know, like I've already said, that is not just about, um, you know, we're very 
um, cautious, I suppose, not to say, oh, well, this means that educator is bad because they've got high blood pressure. Why in their workplace are they having high blood pressure? You know, why is their body having a stress reaction to something that's happening? And because the hexoskin vests allow us to see what time of day things are happening. You know, for example, we're seeing a trend just at a very sort of um, macro level that at the end of the day is a very stressful and busy time for educators. And that's probably not surprising to practitioners, but it's so great to have that hard evidence because then that might match up to injury rates. Maybe there's something we can do to help prevent injuries that happen towards the end of the day because that's, a, you, do you know what I mean? Like that might be when someone trips because they're a bit tired, you know, or it, yeah. it's it, they're at the end of their reserves. So we really believe that having the hard evidence as well as the, um, the self-percept, the self-reported measures allow us to make a very strong case for this is what it's costing educators to do this work. Um, and so I hope I'm not um, jumping ahead here, but what we're hoping we can do with the research is really make a difference to advocacy for educators' pay, for changes to their conditions of work, and for changes to the policy that regulates their work. Yeah, that, I mean that's so so great to hear, Tamara, and then mm. why it's you know so I, I really wanted to talk to you about this project. Um, are you able to give so you've, you've sort of talked about all that data you're collecting? Are you able to get a bit sense like how many um, how many educators or how many centres yeah. are involved, and and, and and is there a diversity of you know sort of yes. um, qualifications and people working with different yes. age groups? Yeah, yeah. So yes to all of those. Um, at this stage. We've been piloting our measures now for just over a year. So what we're doing is just checking out, um, you know, all the fine detail of how many times a day we ask people to take cortisol and whether they need to have a rest day as well as a work day. You, do you know what I mean? We're just, we're just fine tuning. But um, so far we've done that and we've collected data with over 60 educators. Um, they've been located in various places in New South Wales, Queensland and Western Australia. So it's not just people in Sydney you know, in the middle of Sydney, it's regional areas. Um, and so there's going to be a diversity of educators in terms of, you know, the spread of um, ethnicities that work in those services of cultures and lifestyles, and certainly of qualifications and that's, and positions that's going to be between those states. And we're finding people participate, they might be directors, they might be Cert 4, they might be, um, you know, a degree qualified teacher. So we've got a real spread of people and we've also got a very wide range of ages. I mean, so far, I think we've got everybody from very early 20s through to 60 and, you know, and everything in between. So, so um, many years of experience. Um, yeah, so it's not all just concentrated with one group of people in one very good service where there's unlikely to be, or you'd not expect there to be so many problems. But um, it's, yeah, it's been very interesting and also different ownership types of services. So we've had some that are um, community led, we've got some that are um, for profit or non-profit. So even though we haven't tried to explicitly sample to get a wide selection, that is what we've ended up with, thankfully. So, and we're very, very grateful to the people who've participated so far. Um, and we're going to be rolling it out. As you mentioned, we're delighted that we're going to be doing some work with Northside um, in the next couple of months. And, and you know, we're hoping that we'll add, and you know, we'll end up with close to, you know, 80 or more. And 
as people might guess from the amount of um, types of, uh, you know, the ways we're collecting data, that is a huge amount of data. And so we're um, working with our multidisciplinary um, experts. Um, our We've got, you know, people who are, you know, a neuroscientist and a health physiologist and a paramedic and, um, you know, all sorts of people as well as our own expertise to bring to analysing this data. What does it mean? What does it tell us? And what do we need to do next? So um, in the next couple of months, we're going to be having a big stakeholder forum. So we're going to be inviting people from um, um, service providers, but also from unions. Um, we're hoping some practitioners can join us, all sorts of organisations that have got interests in early childhood educated wellbeing. We're going to talk to them about what we've found, but really importantly, we want to hear about what matters to them. So, um, you know, it might turn out that it's the very physiological stuff. It might turn out they're really interested in um, emotional exhaustion. It, it probably depends on the needs of their educators. And But what we're trying to do is put together a program of research that we can roll out that is really bringing what we're good at to bringing what other people are good at to make a difference for educators working in the field. Yeah, I think it's really important to that, that that you know that that's the goal, I guess, of the project yep. is we want is that you know this is about making a difference, which is yes, it is you know so important. Um, now it's it's always problematic to ask you know researchers questions about the the end point when when you're obviously in the in the middle point. But um, just yeah. you obviously been working on this project um, for a while. Yeah. What's you know what surprised you about undergoing this, or is there a particular thing you, that you already you thought was um, that that wouldn't happen, or that you weren't aware of? You know, what's kind of what's been a standout for you so far in, in engaging with the project? Uh, so it's Helen here, and I think one of the things that's been really surprising about the project is the level of interest. So we've had so much interest from uh, the educators themselves, the teams of educators, really wanting to. Um, so much more about um, educated wellbeing and also um, the policy makers and the organisations that employ them. So that's been the most surprising thing. But um, dovetailing with that has been that there's so much little information out there about educated wellbeing. Um, so they've been the two most surprising factors. That's great, Tim. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm not surprised that so many people are interested because I think this is this is such a critical issue in the sector and one that just is also isn't discussed enough. I think we just kind of expect that educators have to work really hard and and do those things. So, I'm not surprised people are jumping up and down to get involved. Exactly, and I think what um, Sandy was saying before is that many educators are really focused on working with the children, and um, and so there's this sense of that's their mission, that's their goal and their work that they're really focused on. And thinking about themselves seems to take second place. But yet we know, we know that the quality of what goes on in services is largely to do with the educators. If they're not well, they can't bring that level of quality that the children need and also that they need themselves and that organisations need to support them. Um, so they're, they're some of the really surprising things for us. Absolutely. Um, now, I know obviously you're still in the, uh, the the early stages of this project, and we won't know the outcome of all the data for quite a while. But you know, maybe if you're just thinking about existing research or some of the work you've sort of done already. Um, you know, what do you think you know needs to change at a sector level to really help educator wellbeing? Yeah. Well, the really glaring thing is that we just don't know enough. We need to really investigate this issue, and we need to investigate it on an Australia-wide 
um, from an Australia-wide perspective. So um, educator wellbeing, it's really, it's everyone's business. It's um, its the the educators themselves need to be to take responsibility for their own well-being, but then also the teams of educators that work together need to be um, very much aware of each other's well-being and supporting that. Those that are supervising in early childhood services, so the directors, um, supervisors need to be very much aware of the needs of their educators and what can be done and what interventions can be put in place. Um, and then as we think um, more broadly to managers and organisations, um, very much thinking about what are the major issues for these organisations? What are they doing to support educator wellbeing? And in what ways is that working? What's what's actually effective? And we just don't know enough about that at the moment. Um, and then if you think about the policy level, um, it's very important that educator wellbeing becomes far more visible in policy. It's really quite invisible at the moment. And that's just not in a national context, that's in an international context. Um, so we think that um, they're things that really need to change very much. And they're also things that um, centres can be thinking about now. They can be thinking about that holistic approach that they're taking to educator wellbeing and really putting that in terms of on the forefront of, of their work, of their practice. Wonderful. Thanks for that. I think it's, it's 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 great to hear that there's that thought about um, you know the different levels that needs to be applied to. So um, and I know mm. you've sort of you, you you've talked about a few things there, but as we as we um, start to wrap up, so if there are you know educators or centre directors maybe particularly or people in leadership roles at a service level, so overseeing multiple centres, maybe listening to this to this episode, um, you know, is there a particular are there some things that you think you know individuals or leaders could do, um, you know, as they head back into work um, or they might be heading into work as they're, as they're listening to this, that some, some some simple things or some approaches to think about that can help with educator wellbeing um, in the short term while we try and solve these bigger bigger structural issues? Well, I think one of the key, the key things is to, um, to um, contact us if they're interested in being involved in the project because <laughs> I think they need to... <laughs> They need to actually establish some sort of a, a baseline of where they're at in their own services before thinking about what they need to actually do to go forward. So it's very easy, and I think this has been one of the dangers in relation to educator wellbeing, it's very easy to go for some sort of a superficial fix. But what we know from the research is that it's far more complex than that. And so taking that step back and thinking, well, where are we actually at with educator wellbeing in our service? Let's not just step in and give some sort of superficial fix. Let's not just put in some some small addition to the staff room to make it look like a better place to be. Um, let's step back and think about what does this really mean for us as individuals, our team, our organisation, and how are we going to support educator wellbeing holistically in the long run as an integral part of our practice. And I think that... Um, if, if people are really interested in doing that, that's the first step. And they're very welcome to contact us if they'd like to be part of the project. We'd love it. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll include some links in the show notes for the episode. Um, but is, is there, a, if, if people want to find out more about the, the project, is there a place online or is there someone they can contact to, to find um, out more? There certainly is, Leanne. I'm really glad you asked that question. We've, um, <laughs> <laughs> we've got a Facebook page um, uh, that uh, that we would love people to have a look at. And... Um, and um, I'm just going, and it's it's called um, Equip for short, which is Early Childhood Educator uh, Wellbeing Project. And 
So it's E C E W P. And if you search, sorry, E C E W P. And if you search, <laughs> if you search for that on Facebook, you'll find us, and you'll be able to read all about the project. And um, and no. by all means, contact us. No problem. We'll include a link for that on our website as well. But um. I want to say I, I, I want to thank um, three of you not just for appearing on the podcast but for doing this project at all. It's really exciting, and and there was no hesitation from anyone at Northside in terms of taking part. It's a really, I actually think it's going to have huge repercussions for um, the Australian educator workforce and, and probably internationally uh, as well. Uh, I should also point out that um, for for Helen and Tamara and Sandy, it was quite a complicated endeavour for them to to record this interview with um with with three people on the line. So I really appreciate their uh, their IT skills and getting that done but um thank you all uh well, good luck with with the project I, this is one i think I, i'd like to keep track of so we'll probably get you back a bit later in the year maybe even post that summit which sounds uh, really interesting and exciting but um good luck with the project thank you all for for appearing on the show thank you thank you so Thanks, much liam. for having us on liam Thanks again to Sandy, Tamara and Helen for, for joining me. It was a really uh, fan- fantastic to hear them talk so you know passionately about this project. And, uh, and as you heard, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to catching up with them in the next couple of months talking about um, how Northside is going to take part. Mm, amazing work. It's incredible. And on probably, I think, is it the first of the, in the world of this type of project? It is, yeah. The, 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 the way of measuring the... Um, the, getting the actual data on um, the psychometric testing for educators is, yeah, the first time it's ever happened. It's going to be we can, finally Australia's going to be leading the way in early childhood and not, you know, not not being, you know, the the, the most crazy way of doing early childhood for a change. <laughs> are you going? To, are you going to dom the exoskin? Uh, no, because I'm a pampered, you know, bureaucrat who sits in an office, so my stress levels can't get that high. So we need to. We, it needs to be with the educators, unfortunately, and I don't think it would. I, I, not not flattering for me. I don't think. <laughs> You'll be impressed, Lisa, because um, I don't know if you couldn't be there for the interview, but I did ask on your behalf how you know fashionable the, the vests would be that educators have to wear <laughs> and how colourful they have to wear. And what was the answer? Well, the answer I got is that they're, they're very sleek, which doesn't seem, yeah. which I don't, I don't think they're that colourful, though, Lisa, unfortunately. Sorry. They, do, they put something over the top of them. They, they do. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's not like everybody's an athlete in the centre and they wear <laughs> That's right. We could have put some branding or something on them, sponsored by anyway. <laughs> um, and like I said, that project's been going going for quite a while. So we, I imagine we'll probably touch base with um, those three again, probably a bit later in the year. But um, as we said, there'll be links in the show notes to find out more about the project. If you're interested in either finding out more or maybe even taking part down the track, um, really go and check out that Facebook page they mentioned. Um, but that's it for our first episode back for the year. I think we pretty much Yay, remembered we how to do it. Do it. Yay! Training oh, wheels right. off next week. I think we'll be fine. Leanne's not so sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, yes, we will. We'll be terrific. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, welcome back to 2019, everyone. We hope the, the year has got off to a good start um, wherever you're working and that things are going well for your communities of children, families and educators. And we'll be back with you for continuing regular episodes uh, right through the year. So until next week, it's goodbye from me. And from me. And from me. You have been listening to The Early Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Leanne McNicholas and produced by Leanne McNicholas. Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com and while you're there, 
It would be great if you could hit the support the show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyedushow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter with the username earlyedushow. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time. Thank you.